Welcome to this edition of the Gateway Podcast. For more information about our faith community, feel free to visit gatewaychurch.org.nz. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy this message. In your Bibles, the printed ones at least, there is a blank page that separates the Old Testament from the New Testament. What you may not know uh, is that that blank page represents 400 years in time. The last book of the Old Testament was the prophet Malachi, and the time running through to the birth of Jesus, uh, as recorded by the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, was was a 400-year period. During those four centuries, it appeared that God was completely silent, and it's easy to flick over that page without a thought of what that significant period of time actually entailed. If you considered it, you might be surprised to know that it was, in some ways, an absolutely exceptional time in human history. It was what we call the Golden Age of Greece. There were some also um, exceptional developments in the East as well at this time, through those 400 years, particularly in India. Many, many Bible scholars have posed the thought that that 400 years, that, that blank page immediately preceding the birth of Jesus Christ, allowed mankind to conduct an absolutely unique experience. It was during these years that there was the most profoundest search for the meaning of life which human intellect is ever likely to make. It was a time when absolutely exceptional individuals were engaged in a quest for ultimate meaning and for truth under particularly favorable conditions. In Greece, it's almost universally conceded that the period that runs from a man by the name of Pericles through to Aristotle marked the high watermark in human history in terms of pure intellectual achievement. It was a season that began with phenomenal promise and hope. Pulitzer Prize-winning author, historian Will Durant, in his massive 11-volume series called The Story of Civilization, wrote, No age has ever rivaled that of Pericles in the number and grandeur of its philosophical ideas or in the vigor and exuberance with which they were debated. This man, Pericles, was the starting point of that period that we call the Golden Age of Greece, and he was a man who epitomized his time. He was a capable general, he was a scholar, he was a philosopher, he was a patron of the arts, and he was a great orator. This was the age of Socrates, of Plato, of Aristotle, men who even today are recognized as some of the greatest thinkers and intellectuals of human history. If anybody could unpack the meaning of human history, surely these men could and possibly would. However, what began as a season of hope and anticipation and promise proved to be a dismal failure. It resulted at the end of that 400 year period in an almost universal sense of pessimism and disillusionment. The meaning of life, the the big idea behind it all eluded these great minds. And Will Durant wrote, every hypothesis had been conceived, aired, and forgotten. The universe had preserved its secret and the men had grown weary of a search in which the most brilliant of minds had failed. Perhaps the Apostle Paul summed it up when he said, the world in its wisdom failed to find God. They failed to find the big idea. Job, perhaps the oldest book in the Bible, said, can a man by searching find out God? And Job's question was a rhetorical one, and the obvious answer was, unaided, no. After 400 years 
of human brilliance. The climate was one of philosophical pessimism and despair, and it seemed that there were no certainties, no ultimate truth. And one rather depressed Greek philosopher wrote, neither the senses or reason can give sure knowledge. The senses distort the object in perceiving it, and reason is merely a plaything of bias. Sounds remarkably cynical and incredibly postmodern. The 400 years, the so-called golden age, ended in the time of the Roman Empire, and at that time, many of the intellectual elite came to view suicide as the only logical escape, the only sane refuge against the despairing sadness and the ever-swelling tide of vice and misery. Both Zeno and Cleanthes, um, Stoic philosophers, committed suicide. Tacitus, Suetonius, Pliny, Seneca, and other writers of the period underscored the frequency with which suicide was engaged during that time. During the Emperor Trajan's rule, it became a national pastime virtually, and the number of Latin phrases used to describe suicide multiplied to an extraordinary degree. Again, a phenomenally postmodern response, actually. Another response to the season of disillusionment, probably at the other end of the spectrum, was the abandonment of all self-restraint, a kind of what-the-hell attitude, and it was summed up by the name, now famous phrase, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. We call it Epicureanism, or, or perhaps hedonism. Again, so postmodern. For the commoners of the time, life was reduced to an endless round of bread and circuses, the equivalent, I suspect, of our reality TV. It resulted in a complete dulling of the senses, the never-ending need for greater and greater violence and greater and greater debauchery. So morality, along with hope, reached an all-time low. Interestingly, that in the East, at the same time, by a different route, the same basic quest was being undertaken and led to a similar pessimistic conclusion. A man called Gautama, later to be called the Buddha, arrived at the idea of individual extinction, not through suicide, but through the abnegation of all human desire. His solution was to achieve nirvana, the absolute annihilation of individual identity. That was that blank page between the Old Testament and the New Testament, 400 years. Now, obviously, there were many people in that period who cried out for more, who longed for something different. That great longing was increasingly evident in the literature of the period. They longed for someone who would come and who would right the wrongs, who would provide certainty where there was none, who would show men how to live and what to live for, and who would perhaps rule in righteousness. One philosopher by the name of Heraclitus hauntingly asked the question, is there any meaning? Is there any pattern? Is there any logic? And he used a Greek word, logos. Is there any logos in life? He's asking, what's the meaning of it all? You know, when, when you and I are confused about something, sometimes we'll say, hey, what's the big idea? And that's essentially what the word logos means as Heraclitus used it. He was saying, What's the big idea behind all this? So the word logos has come down to us in the English and is used in nearly all of our intellectual pursuits. Whenever you find the suffix ology on the end of a word, it's derived from that word logos, and it's the search for the big idea. So biology is the search for the big idea in bios, the, the physical life. Psychology is the search for the big idea in terms of how we function as individuals in our psyche. Sociology is the search for the big idea behind the interaction of social groupings. 
You know, we human beings have been called the searching animal. We quested to know what the big idea is. That's why we have religion. That, that golden age, that 400-year period, that blank page was a failed search for the big idea. One of the greats of that period, Plato, spoke about the insolubility of many of life's problems, and he spoke of his hope that one day there would come from God a logos, a word from God that would make everything clear and would explain the big idea. Now, of course, Plato wasn't thinking about a person. He was thinking about some kind of abstract principle, a principle of rationality. But 400 years later, in the fullness of time, a great light shone into the darkness and confusion. And John chapter 1, verse 1 says, in the beginning was the Logos, and the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. And then he said, and the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us. No man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, the Logos, he has made him, the Father, clear. He's brought us the big idea. What Plato longed for, this clarity from God in the form of a Logos came. But it wasn't an abstract principle. It was a person. The big idea is personal. It's Jesus after the failure of this 400-year-long experiment, God himself, the Logos, stepped into space and time to reveal himself, to show us the big idea. If you come to Gateway with any degree of regularity, you'll know over this Christmas series, as a season, we have sung an incredibly beautiful song produced by the Hillsong Church uh, called The Arrival. And in that song, it speaks about the architect stepping inside the plan, the author stepping into the pages that he's written, the playwright responsible for the play taking the stage, the divine in a manger, royalty robed in flesh he, that he created. So the Logos has come and has shown us the big idea. Jesus Christ was not a human being making himself God, but God making himself human. And he came to lighten, to lighten our darkness. That's why we have the candles. They are a symbolic sign that we have revelation. We have understanding. Can a man, by searching, find out God? Well, the 400-year experiment said no. So God stepped into the darkness, into the pessimism, and into the confusion with light and life. He came to offer hope in the midst of our despair. He came to show us how to live and what to live for. Now, we all know the Christmas story well enough to know that the responses to that arrival, that first Christmas, was mixed at best. Yes, the shepherds and the magi came to worship, but Herod reacted first with suspicion and then with hatred and violence, and the majority of the population just ignored him and went on with the business of the season completely indifferent. Question as I wind up. What is your response to the arrival of the Logos? What is your response to the idea that Jesus is the unfolding of the big idea, what we are here for, why we exist? It's not just a Christmas question. It is a question that haunts every life in every season of our lives. I'd like to suggest to you that what what your answer is to that question or what your response is to that logos is the watershed of your life. It's the watershed of every person's life. 
If, if you look up a dictionary and regard that word watershed, it will give you two meanings. Number one, an area or ridge of land that separates waters flowing to different rivers, basins, or seas. So if you can imagine a mountain going up to a point, a drop of water that falls on that side could end up in the Pacific Ocean. A drop of water that drops three inches away on that side could end up in the Atlantic Ocean. It's the watershed moment that defines who we are. The second meaning will be an event or period marking the turning point in a situation. Jesus' coming was the watershed moment of history, and your response to his coming will be the watershed moment of your life. During that 400-year experience uh, experiment, brilliant men tried to find God through unaided intellect and failed. In the fullness of time, Paul says, God came in Jesus to reveal himself and to show us the big idea of how to live, who to live for, what to live for. That song um, that Hillsong sings so marvelously finishes up, all hail the arrival of our maker. And that's what the Christmas season is for us believers. It's honor and worship, thanks and gratitude to him who has come to show us how to live and what to live for. Thanks for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. Again, check out gatewaychurch.org.nz to find out what's going on within our church.